If you have your Bible uh, before you this morning, uh, we're turning to John's Gospel, chapter 13, and then we're going over for a few verses later on uh, to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 13, please. And we're reading from verse 33. The Lord Jesus is speaking here, and in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So say I to you. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Now just come over, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll be able to leave your Bible uh, open there. The Father, I just ask for your help this morning, and we thank you for this word that is before us. And Lord, we need that aid and that filling of the Holy Spirit. We need that fresh anointing from on high, that your word, Lord, will penetrate into our hearts. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would give every one of us ears to hear what you want to communicate to us. And so, Lord, we just pray for that divine covering over this assembly this morning. We pray for that deep, conscious sense of your presence. We pray even today, Lord, oh God, that you would come and minister to us and through us. And Lord, bless us. We long just to be in your presence. And so, Father, I yield myself to thee. And I ask, Lord, that you would just come and take full possession of this vessel, that this word, Lord, that you've laid upon our heart, O oh God, will go forth in the manner in which you wanted to do so. And so, Lord, we just ask all of these things in the lovely and precious and worthy name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about some blessings that you and I, as the people of God, we enjoy. And it's some things that I have been thinking of in recent days. That moment that you and I got saved. That moment that you and I, this morning, if we're truly born again and washed in the blood, that you and I enjoy and ought to enjoy on this pilgrim path as we journey through this world. One of the great things that any man or woman gets whenever they get saved is life. And that's what the Lord Jesus said. He said, I am come that ye may have life, and that ye may have it more abundantly. And that word abundant life there is really used whenever the Lord Jesus was feeding the multitude. And you remember how on the side of the Galilee there was a multitude before the Lord Jesus, and he broke the bread, and he prayed for the little fish, and he distributed among the people. And after the people were fed, it says that they gathered the fragments into the baskets. And what was happening? There was an abundance left over. There was so much that the Lord Jesus gave them that they could not use it all. And that's really what abundant life means, that the Lord Jesus comes and every you and I get saved. And he pours into us his life, a life that we can never exhaust. It's abundant life. You remember how Paul said in Romans chapter 6, he said that the wages of sin is death, and then he talked about the, the gift of God is eternal life. Might to pass into that realm where you and I, we will never lose our soul, where we will never see the flames of a lost eternity, and all of those lovely blessings you and I can enjoy, to enjoy the full basket of life, to never be able to exhaust the blessing that God pours into you and I. That's a wonderful thing. But not only does the Lord Jesus give us life, he gave us liberty. And the Lord Jesus stood in, his, in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And as he stood that day, I would love to have been there. And as the men were gathered and they were sitting, the Lord Jesus had said that he stood in the midst and he was given the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he turned to the place and it says when he found the place, he began to read, and this is what he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach. He has sent me to bind up the broken and hearted. 
He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captive and set at liberty them that are bruised. And the Lord Jesus, I can tell you, my dear people, that's what he does with his soul. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, I want to tell you, you're still bound. You're still under the fetters of sin. You're still chained and stained by that sin. But oh, thank God for the message of the gospel. Thank God for the one who came and he has come to give us perfect liberty and freedom. And that's why we read in the Revelation chapter 1, Unto him that has loved us and loosed us from our sin. He not only takes away the stains of sin, but he comes to give us power over the dominion of sin. I tell you, that's a wonderful thing. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from all of the chains and shame of the past. And that's why Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Whenever he enters into a man or woman, I can tell you, he is able to set the captive free. And you'll remember what Alan said a few Sunday mornings ago uh, concerning the Lord Jesus when he said, Him who the Son sets free is free indeed. But you know, my dear people, that's a reality that many of God's people are not free. And we can be bound by secret sin. We can be bound by some habit. We can be bound by some idea or some motive in our heart. But all the work of the cross, I can tell you, if you want to enjoy the liberty that the Lord Jesus has for you and I, you know the answer to the Christian life is this. Just get back to the cross. Because whenever you and I discover that there, on that hill, on that hill and on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ he purchased a perfect liberty for you and I. And no matter how strong the chain may be, no matter how deep the sin may have a hold upon your life, no matter how great the stains may be in your heart, oh, because of that wonderful man and because of that wonderful work, men and women can have liberty. They can have freedom. And to enter into that is a wonderful thing. I'm not here this morning to talk to you about life. I'm not even here to talk to you about liberty. I want to talk to you this morning about love. And the title for my sermon this morning is this, Love, the Lost Gem of the Church. I can tell you, my dear people, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus wants to do in our heart, that you and I as the people of God would be radiant with, with his love that you and I would be channels for the love of God, to have that infilling. And you know, it's amazing, but the love of God and the life of the believer right through the New Testament is one of those tremendous truths, and we so often can ne neglect it. We so often can forget about it. To have the love of God within us and radiating from us. There's three words for the word love in the Greek, Greek language. There's the first word, and that's the word arios. It's essential love. It's a sexual love. A sentimental love. A love that is based on feeling. A love that is based on an erratic feeling within the heart. Someone would say, I love my job. I love that cat. I love that countryside. I love that view. I love my hobby. And that's an arios love. It's a really, it's a very cheap love. It doesn't cost anything to have a love like that. That's the love of the world. It's an arios love. It's interesting to note that that word is not used in the Bible. I tell you, my dear people, that's not the love that God wants you and I to have. A love that is based on feeling, I will love you today, but I'll fall out with you tomorrow. I love you because how you look, but whenever your looks go, I will no longer love you. That's the, that's the love of the world. There's another word for love, and it's found in the Bible, and that's the word filio. It's the word for brotherly love. It's the word for a friendship relationship. You'll remember the church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. They were that church that was marked by filial love. It was brotherly love. My dear people, they had an affection for one another. They were fond of one another. It's a friendship. It's a bond, I can tell you, that is very hard to break. But there's another love in the Bible, and it was very, very seldom used by the Greeks. In fact, the Greek language hardly ever mentions it at all. They, say, they saw no beauty in it. And the very word that the world saw no beauty in is the very word that God used to describe his own love. It's the word agape love. It's the highest form of love known to man. This is the love of God. 
109 times in the New Testament, it's divine love. It goes beyond feeling. It's the love that God has for you and I. It's agape love. It's not from the head. And it's not even love from the heart. It's love from God. This love that I want to talk to you about this morning is love that was exhibited. My dear people, I can tell you, God just didn't tell us that he loved us. I'm glad this morning that you and I, we just don't have to go on the word of another man. You'll remember John, and he was the apostle of love. And he said, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What sort of love is it? He uses the word agape love. It's love he means from another world. It's love from a different sphere. It's love from a different source. What sort of love is it? And I want to tell you what sort of love that God has for you and I today. Whether you're saved or whether you're not, it's love without condition. I was thinking during the week whenever Moses was speaking to the children of Israel. And this is what Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God did not choose you because you were, you were great in size. He didn't say God didn't choose you because you were smarter, because you were very intellectual. No, he didn't say he, God cho chose you because of who you are or what you did. No, it just says this. He chose you because he loved you. Agape love. Love without condition. And you know, my dear people, whenever you and I really get down into the depths of the human heart, and whenever you and I get into the presence of God and we discover who he is, this one that is marked by majesty and power and beauty and authority, you know what every one of us would say, what was there in me that ever drew your love towards me? What was there, Lord, that you ever see in me that you would, you would send this agape love upon me? You know the answer to that question. There was nothing within us that could ever draw the love of God toward us. My, we were so wretched, we're so defiled and so far from God. His love had to take the initiative. It's love, I can tell you, without condition. You remember John said those lovely words here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And he went on to say we love him because he first loved us. It's love without condition. It's love, I can tell you, without any, any competition. And you'll know what it is to be a parent, many, many of you here today. And you'll know what it is to look at your daughter or your son, and you'll love them with all of your heart. And you'll do anything for them, and you'll stay up in the middle of the night to see that they come home. You, you would meet the need, whether it's food or whether it's money, whatever they need, you would really do it because there's a love that you have for that child, my dear people, that is deep down in the heart. But you set the love that a parent has for a child beside the love that God has for you and me this morning. You know what you'd have to say? There's no compare. No compare. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest dell. And I've said it before, and maybe some of you haven't ever heard that, but that third verse of that hymn was penned by a man in a mental institution in America. He lost his mind, but he was a believer. And he got a nail in, in that little room where he was incarcerated for many years. He got a nail and he inscribed the third verse of that hymn, and that's where the, the verse comes from. If we would think the ocean fill, or were the sky of parchment made, if every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though spread from sky to sky. The love of God for you and me. My dear people, whenever we discover that, and whenever we enter into the blessings of that, it's love, I can tell you, without condition. It's love without competition. Paul talked about the dimensions of the love, the height of it, the depth of it, the length of it, the breadth of it, and he's just come to this conclusion, and he says it passes all understanding. And then he talks about the direction of it. He said he loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I tell you, my dear people, it's love without condition. It's love without a competition. And it's love without a conclusion. You know, it says in Jeremiah that I have loved thee with an everlasting love. 
And as the Lord Jesus here, even in John's Gospel, chapter 13, as he looked upon his disciples, he looked at Peter that would deny him. He looked at Thomas that doubted him. He looked at all of them that forsook him. And it says of the Lord Jesus that he loved them unto the end. Unto the very end. And you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. What shall separate me from the love of God? Shall there be death separate me? No, it will not separate me. Shall, shall peril or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? And Paul said, nay, and all of these things were more than conquerors. The love of God, I can tell you, is without conclusion. In that moment that you and I got saved, and if you're not saved, you're missing out and basking in that love. It's maybe a theological thing in your head, but the moment that you get saved and turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ, you know what happens? The love of God not only comes into your head, but oh, thank God, it comes into your heart. The deep, deep love of Jesus, ever boundless, ever free, flowing like a mighty ocean, and it flows continually right over me. In that moment we got saved, we could say he drew me with the cords of love. And then it goes on and says he brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. Every day the love of God is showered upon us. Day after day, moment after moment. I was thinking yesterday afternoon of that hymn, Love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way that could make me whole. Love sent my Lord to the cross of shame. Oh, love found a way. Oh, bless his holy name. The love of God. That's what agape love is. That's the love that God has for you and me, no matter how far you've fallen during the week. No matter how inconsistent you are. No matter how bad you are, even in the world as an unbeliever, I want to tell you, if you're not saved, you maybe hate him, but he loves you. And it's love without a condition. Love without competition and love without conclusion. You know, I want to say this morning that God does not have love as an attribute. So often we think that love is an attribute of God. Holiness is an attribute. Mercy is an attribute. Grace is an attribute. Oh, you could go on and on. His faithfulness, His omnipresence, His omnipotence. Oh, and you could go all of the attributes of God. But I want to tell you, my dear people, this love is not an attribute of God. The Bible says that God is love. And all of those wonderful attributes that he has radiates out from that central point. The attributes of God are all anchored in that love, that love that radiates to you and me. That's why whenever the Lord Jesus came, he was love incarnate. Oh, I want to tell you, if you and I ever lived in that day, and what a wonderful thing it would have been. But if you and I ever walked down the streets of Nazareth and went into the little carpenter's shop and among all of the tools and among all of the dust and among all of the things that the blessed man of Calvary was making with his wonderful hands and you and I were to go into that little carpenter's shop and you and I were to converse with him and just talk to him and bear our heart to him, you know what we would say as we would come out of that little carpenter's workshop? Oh, how he loves me. How he loves me. Whenever I was in England last week, there was a woman there and she says, Stephen, I want to tell you my testimony. She started to tell me, she says, I was brought up in a Christian home. I had a child out of wedlock. My mother and father didn't really want anything to do with me. She was put into a hostel. She came to a point in her life where she could no longer live. Her child was only one year of age. She bought herself a box of paracetamol. And she sat down at her little table in the flat. And she took four paracetamol and then the doorbell rang. And as she waited for the person to go away, the doorbell kept ringing again and again. And she said to me, she said, Stephen, I was so frustrated that I lost my temper and I just opened the door of my little flat and I shouted down the stairwell, will you please go away? And the person shouted up and says, no, I'll not go away until you come to the door. She went down to the door and it was one of the friends that she had at school this other friend wasn't brought up in a Christian home. In fact, she said to me, she said, Stephen, she was so bad she was put out of her school. And as she stood at the door of that little stairwell, she said to me, Stephen, she was radiant. It was like light that was shining through Maggie. She was radiant with a love that I had never seen before. She went up into the little flat and she saw the tablets. She didn't even mention them. She said, she just talked to me. She, just, she, she was so interested in me. And there I just basked and I bore to her the burden of my heart. 
A number of weeks later, she was in a coffee shop. She didn't see her friend again after that for a while, and she was in a coffee shop, and she was sitting there. She said, I had 50p in my pocket. I didn't even have enough money to buy a cup of tea, and the person that was watching me, she came down, and she didn't know me, and she said, look, there's a cup of tea for you. Take it. It's on the house, and tears started to come out of her eyes. This woman that was rejected, she didn't know that she'd walked into a Christian coffee shop. And after a moment, there's a man came in, and she thought he was wearing a dress. That's what she said to me. But it was the vicar. He had a white robe on and a coat around him. And as she looked at him, she said to me, Stephen, let me tell you, I never saw that man before. But that man, all I can tell you is there was a love that was radiating from him. I felt so at ease in his company. She went to a little church, an English church, a church of England, two weeks later. She didn't know that was where the vicar preached at. He got up with his robes and gowns and all on. He started to preach. He preached in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. And she said as he preached, the love of God radiated from him. And he stopped the meeting and he said, Dear, God wants to save you. And he wants to save you now. And she said, Before I even knew, I was unconsciously up and I was walking down the aisle. And he came down and he held my hands. And she said, Stephen, it was just like being in the presence of Jesus. Oh, my dear people, I want to tell you that's what God wants to do. Not just to give us a theological head knowledge of the love of God, but that you and I would be radiant with that love. That you and I would be channels of the love of God. The Lord Jesus in the upper room, he turned to his disciples and this is what he said. It's a wonderful statement. Think about it and pray about it during the week. He said, as the Father has loved me, even so have I loved you. Peter that would deny him, yes. Thomas that would doubt him, yes. All of the disciples that would forsake him, he says, look, let me tell you, as my Father loves me with that divine agape love that we've had for all of eternity, that love has come into me and it's radiating out toward you. And then he said a statement that has put me on my knees during the week and has brought this little message to birth. And you know what he said? He said, a new commandment give I unto you. He said, a new commandment give I unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. He said, I, they don't really need to know by the language that you use. He said, you're not going to have to advertise to them because you carry a Bible the size of a gave a wall of a house. He says, you're not going to have to stand and get a big placard and say, we're Christians. No, he said, what happens is, if my love that comes into you radiates out to one another, he said, by this shall all men know, whether they're atheists, whether they're agnostics, whether they love me or whether they hate me, he said that they will know that you are all of my disciples. And the word that he used there was not Arios love. He didn't use a filial love. He said, no, what you need to do is you need to love one another with the very same love that God, the Father loves me, the very same love that I have toward you. What you want to be and what I want to make you is just a channel for that love, that the love of God will come into your heart and will radiate out. It will be love that is unconditional. And whether he said you have enemies, he said you'll be able to love your enemy. Whether people despise you, whether people overlook you, because that's what they do to me, he said. He said you're going to have that love that will permeate out into the community. It'll be love that is unconditional. It'll be love that is unrivaled. And people would say, my, I have never seen any love like this before. And the only conclusion that they will be able to come to is this. That man or that woman is a Christian. That agape love that comes into our heart. Oh, my dear people. I was thinking about it like this, and maybe you can correct me. You can definitely help me if it's not right. But this commandment is quoted 19 times in the New Testament. And I think about it like this, and I might be wrong. You can correct me. But as far as I know, it's the most reiterated commandment in all of the New Testament. 19 times. And not only is it the most quoted commandment, I tell you it's the most forgotten. And another thing that God has said to this preacher, that it is the most broken. My, we don't, we don't lie and we don't drink. I hope we don't do any of those things. But my dear people, the thing about Saul, the first king of Israel, was this. He lost the kingdom because he disobeyed God in one thing. 
He wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't a chronic liar. He wasn't caught by lust. He just disobeyed God on one commandment and he lost his authority. He lost his power. He lost the very presence of God in his life because he was void of obedience in one area. And I suggest to you this morning that many of us here today, we are so buying on the mark on many things and so we should. But if we do all of those things without this, this, this area of love in our heart, without this component of love, I can tell you, my dear people, we're breaking one of the greatest commandments in the Word of God. He said, love one another. And get, it, get your Bibles during the week, and I'm not going to do them all for you. And you take that little phrase and go through the Bible and take the little tax, one another. There's about 29 times it's found in the New Testament. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, there to, he said to, to have care one for another. You remember the church of Corinth was marked by division and strife. And Paul said, care for one another. The word is to be anxious for one another. The word is to think often of one another. Does that person need my help? Is that person lonely? Do they need my assistance? He said, care one for another. And then he said to the church of Galatia, serve one another. He didn't say slander one another. He didn't say, he didn't say snub one another. He didn't say sue one another. He said, serve one another. And that word is the word to be a slave. He said to forgive one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, consider one another. And I propose to you today that all of those one another texts hang upon this one that the Lord Jesus quoted on the very night where he was betrayed, after he washed the disciples' feet, after he instigated, instigated the Lord's Supper, he turned and he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. My dear people, we're not just to like one another. It'd be an awful thing whenever you get married, and the man was there and you were given your vows, and he said to you, lover, I don't really, but I like her. Do you know, my dear people, there's something turns in my heart whenever I hear someone pray in the prayer meeting, Lord, I love that person in the Lord. That's a copper. My dear people, what God wants to do is have that love for you and I and to go to every single believer in this house that we would be intoxicated with the love of God as I have loved you. He says that's the intensity that I want you to have. Every mother in this meeting this morning, love every other mother with the love that God has for you. Every man in this meeting this morning, love every other man in this meeting with the love that Christ has for you. Every servant, every elder, every deacon, let us love one another with the same love, that agape love, with that divine love that he has for us. May we be radiant for, with that love for one another. I don't know if you, you were asked by someone in the street, you're, the proof that you're saved. One of the great proofs that anybody is saved is the witness of the Spirit. But the Apostle John said this, he said we have know, that we know that we have passed from death unto life when we love the brethren. He said that's the one demarcation in the life of every Christian. Whenever you and I love one another with that agape love, not in word nor in tongue, but in deed and in truth, that agape love, it's called Calvary love. It's selfless love. You remember in John's epistle in 3 John, he talks about a man by the name of Diotrephes. And it says of Diotrephes that he loved the preeminence. Well, agape love is not like that. Agape love doesn't climb on the shoulders of others to try and get the preeminence. That's not agape love. Agape love is selfless love. It's Calvary love. It's sacrificial love. The first time love is mentioned in your Bible is by that man you remember, Abraham. And God came to Abraham in the night and said, Abraham, take thy son, thy only son whom thou lovest. You remember how he had to go up Mount Moriah and he got his son, the, the love of his heart, and he set the altar and put the wood and then he bound his beloved son, the promised child, and he laid, it upon, laid him upon the altar and it was sacrificial love, agape love. You remember David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king. And it says that Jonathan and David, their hearts were knit one to another. And it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. 
And there was a day whenever David was out and Saul was going to hunt him like a, a partridge across the hills of Judea. And Jonathan turned to David and you know what he did? The royal robe that was upon him. My, that robe that set him apart as the son of the king. It says that he stripped himself of his robe and he gave it to David the stripling. He gave it to David the shepherd boy and he gave all of the authority, all of the right of the kingdom onto a shepherd boy. And he didn't stop there. The Bible says that he took his robe and gave it to him and his garment and his sword and his bow and his girdle. Everything that Jonathan had, he gave it to David. And my dear people, that's exactly what God did for you and I. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send Paul or Peter or Moses. He sent the darling of his bosom to the cross and he emptied heaven and sent him down to this world today. That's a gappy love. Oh, sacrificial love. You remember the little woman, the little widow, she had two mites in her pocket. And as the Lord Jesus was sitting in the treasury, and all of the great men were throwing in their abundance, and I'm sure they held it up and threw it in. And the Lord Jesus said, she has outdone every one of them, because she gave me all that she had. That's it. That's it. They gave him it all. Give him of everything, not just a part. That's a gappy Love, it's selfless love, it's sacrificial love, it's supernatural love. You can't make this love happen in your heart. You can't stir it up, you can't love me with an agape love, and I can't love you with an agape love in my own endeavor and in my own strength. But oh, do you not think it's significant this morning that the fruit of the Spirit and the very first fruit is love, love. And then because of that love, there's joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. And it all pivots upon the love, the supernatural love. And this is what Paul said. He said this, Oh, the love of God, this agape love, he said to the believers at Rome, The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And that word shed abroad is the word it gushes out. I can't restrain it. No matter who they are or where they're from, no matter what sort of a life they've lived, no matter what sort of a sinner they are, oh, there's something in my heart that gushes out toward them. And it's agape love, unconditional, unending love. It's the love of God that he has for me is flowing through me. And it gushes out every moment of the day like a torrent. Is there a Paul here today? Now, I want to say this love is not only exhibited, it's expected. That's why the Lord Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. It's not a suggestion. It's not a luxury in the Christian life. This is a commandment. And every time the Lord Jesus gives us a commandment, the blessed thing about it is this. He doesn't intend us to fulfill it in our own strength. He always comes alongside to fulfill his own commandments in us. Whenever you and I just surrender to him and yield to him. And I suggest to you this morning, one of the places where he is expecting this love, and this really burnt in my heart, is in the ministry. It's in the ministry. And whatever ministry God has given to you, wherever that may be, whatever gift he has given to you, he expects that gift to be operated in love. I was thinking, and the Lord just shot this illustration into my mind the other day, that if an angel from heaven was to come to Stephen and said, Stephen, now uh, I want you to build a church and I want you to uh, start an organization and I'll give you anything inside the Word of God. You just ask me for it and I'll just snap my finger and I'll give it to you. And I sat down and I said, well, Lord, we would need to have doctrine there. We would need to have the pattern of the church there. We would need to have elders there. We would need to have, we would need to have all of the truth of the Word of God there, the pattern of the assembly. On and on we could go. And after I had thought of all of those things, we'd need to have service there, we'd need to have outreach there, we'd need to be working in the community, and then the Lord says, Stephen, is that it? And I says, Lord, I think that would be a pretty good church. I think if I had a church that got out, would be really good, that would be spot on the mark. And just like a flash, the Holy Spirit burnt it in my heart, turned to Revelation chapter 2. And you'll read of the church at Ephesus because they had all of those things. And yet the Lord Jesus said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. They did all of that, but they hadn't the love of God in their heart. 
And they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And you go through here and cast your eye. I hope your Bible's open at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the last verse. And Paul, whenever he's writing to these believers at Corinth, these men and women were addicted to gift. They had tongues, they had healings, they had miracles, they had all of the prophets. They were the most gifted, probably, church the world has ever seen. In verse 31, he said, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and show unto you, I unto you a more excellent way. And this is what he said. Though I speak with the tongues of men and with angels, lo, you have the best verbal gift that God could give you, and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He says not only about the verbal gifts, he talks about the prophetical gifts. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, that's the prophetical gift. And Paul said, my, you could have the best oratory that any man could ever have, you could receive revelations from the very Spirit of God concerning the mysteries. And that word mystery is to do with Matthew chapter 13, the, the mysteries of the kingdom. You could know prophecy from revelation, my, backward, frontward, inside, outside, upside, downside. But he says, if you know all of that, and then he talks about a powerful gift. He said, though I have faith so that I could remove the mountains and have not love, I am nothing. You see that word nothing there? The word is, I am nobody. I don't exist in the, in the economy of God, no matter how gifted I am, whether it's verbal, whether it's prophetical, whether it's powerful. And then he talked about verse 3, the practical. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, my if I read out the bank and give every penny, every dime, and though I give my body to be burned and die as a martyr, and have not this agape love, it profiteth me nothing. And that terminology means this, the sacrifice is an empty sacrifice. It's of no benefit. It's of no advantage. And what happens is this, my dear people, study it yourself. The gifts that were given to the church at Corinth were happening, but they were not happening in the atmosphere of love. They had actually weaponized their gift. One man was trying to out-preach another man. One singer was trying to out-sing another singer. One deacon was trying to out-deacon another deacon. And all they were doing, they were weaponizing their gift to get the preeminence. And Paul said, that's not what you do with it. What you need to do with it is you need to bring it to birth through this agape love. And there'll be no contention, I can tell you. My dear people, would we not have less splits? I tell you, with Presbyterian, Free Presbyterian, Reformed Presbyterian, with Baptist, with Free Baptist, with Methodist, Independent Methodist, Free Methodist, with the Elims, with the Pentecostals, and with breakaway churches. And all I can tell you is this. Whenever you and I get an assembly where we have gift, and that gift works in love, and that gift works without a gap of love, and we come together as a unity, and I thank God, and I can say this with all of my heart, I thank God for the other three men in eldership in this church. Because I can tell you we have unity together. We have never had one contentious word in any of the elders' meetings. We never had one moment whenever we come out of one of those elders' meetings and there was harsh words said, that has never happened. And I say that to the grace of God. And my dear people, that's why this assembly, every single one of us needs to come from the head down. Agape love. It's to be expected in the ministry. It's to be expected in the assembly. I tell you, my dear people, one of the ways that God tests the love of a congregation is this, not by making tea after a meeting. One of the ways that God tests love in the assembly among the people of God more than any other way, you know what it is? If ye love me with agape love, ye will keep my commandments. That's it. You see, doctrine and the Lord's table and baptism, for a lot of people, it's not really a doctrinal issue. It's not really a don't like stand in front of people and getting baptized. They don't want to show. No, no. You know what it is? It's a love issue. It's a love issue. I don't love him enough to do it. I love my dinner more than him. Oh, my dear people, whenever there's love, you remember in Exodus chapter 21, it's the law of the love sleep. And a man who would be a servant in a man's house and he would come to that year of release and the seventh year he was allowed to go out free. 
And the servant would come and say, but I love my master. I love him so much. I don't want to go out free, even though I have the opportunity to do that. And what the man would do, what his master would do, he would bring him to the judges and say, do you really love me? And he says, I really love you. I want to serve you. No matter what you tell me to do, I'll do it. And then he would bring him to the door of his house and he would get that oil and bore his ear through onto the post and he would have a permanent mark the rest of his days. And that mark in the ear would remind him, everything that my master tells me to do because my ear is marked because I have made that personal commitment to him I have the permanent mark and now I am a love slave of him that's why Paul said I am a love slave of Jesus Christ I bear in my body the mark he said he has put through my ear and I have dedicated my life to him no matter what he tells me to do I'll do it because I belong to him I am no longer my own I live for him every moment of the day the love that he has for me is going back up to him and he says Paul whatever I tell you to do I can trust you because you're a love slave oh my dear people One of the prayers that I have been praying, Lord, make me a love slave of Jesus Christ. Make me a man that will serve in the atmosphere of love. If I don't have a verbal gift like Spurgeon or or Talmadge, if I can't lift men and women up with my oratory, oh, if I haven't got a prophetical gift, if I haven't even got a practical gift, whatever my gift may be, let it operate, Lord, in the atmosphere of love. This agape love. Now, you're listening well. It's not only in the ministry. It's not only in the assembly. It's meant to be in the family. Can I say a wee word this morning to married couples? And the Bible says, and Paul said to the men, he said, love your wives. Don't love another woman. And he said, love her as I loved you. And I know in the home a woman can have a way, different way of thinking than a man has. A man said to me, a woman, I said, Stephen, they're just like a totally different creature. And I agree with that. But oh, I can tell you, you see, whenever you have a marriage, and whenever the husband is not standing on the top of the wife, but he draws alongside her and he assists her. And you know what happens? It's a little picture of Christ's love for the church. And I can tell you that's an atmosphere where revival is born. Whenever the husband loves the wife, and whenever the wife loves the husband. And maybe your husband doesn't understand you, dear. Maybe there's things that he does. He leaves the socks out, and he doesn't do the washing right, and he does the dishes wrong. You just love him. I know we're hard to love at times. But oh, I can tell you, you know what happens whenever that love happens. And the children see it. And they say, my parents, oh, they just radiate the love of God. I want what they have. And there's love in the family. Isaac had love for Rebecca. Jacob had love for Rachel. Zechariah had a love for Elizabeth. And Christ has a love for the church. And he's expecting that love in the house. And in the community. And personally. You remember Peter? Peter, that man that seen the dead raised. Do you remember that? Peter, that day when he was in the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? And there was a day whenever Peter denied the blessed Lord with oaths and with cursing. And you remember how he was disillusioned after the resurrection. He had saw the Lord, but he didn't know what to do. And he went back to the boat. And he was out fishing and he had toiled all night and he caught nothing. And he saw a man, a lonely man, standing on the shore. And he turned to John and says, who's that? And you know what John said? It's the Lord. And my Peter, what he did was he got his coat and threw it off and he jumped into the water and he swam toward the Lord. And the Lord had a little fire there. He had some fish there. He knew exactly what they needed. He didn't beat him. He didn't even rebuke him. And as the other disciples were there gathered around the fire and eating the fish, the Lord Jesus must have said to Peter, come on you with me. Hey, maybe took him by the hand. He maybe put his arm around his shoulder. And he walked along the, the, the banks and the shore of the Galilee. And I think he stopped and he turned around to the other disciples and said, Peter, you see this here? See them men? Lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest. And then they walked on a little bit further and then he turned again. And he maybe turned to the boats and the nets that he loved. He was a fisherman in heart. And he turns and says, Peter, do you see the boat? That's a wonderful boat. But do you love me more than that? Yea, Lord, thou knowest. 
And then they walked on again and he stopped again and he maybe looked at all of creation and all of the lovely things that he made and says, Peter, do you love me more than all of these? And Peter got a little bit contentious and he turned to the Lord and he says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. You know the word that he used? It wasn't agape. It's the word filio. He said, Lord, I'm just fond of you and nothing more. I'm just fond of you. It wasn't a gappy love. But oh, that man, I can tell you, thank God he got it. God gave it to him and he lived a life in his ministry of a gappy love and he died the murder's death. A man that was on fire for God, a man that was radiant with the love of God, a man that was used mightily by him because his love radiated from his heart. Now lastly, and you're listening so well and I really appreciate that, this love is not only exhibited it's not only expected, it's love that is expounded. You say to me, Stephen, it's all right, tell me all this, but what is it like? Well, you look at verse 4 as we close. And this is the personification of love. I tell you, this is a picture of Christ himself. And there's three passages in the Word of God in the New Testament that are lovely pictures of Christ. Philippians 4, whatsoever things are good and just and beautiful, think on these things, and that's all he was, lovely and just and good and beautiful. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is a lovely picture of him, but here in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love suffereth long. That's the mark of agape love. You see that word suffereth long, it's the word patient. And if you're a very impatient person, God can make you patient because he can give you this love. It's the word to be slow to anger. The other translation of it burnt in my heart because it actually means to be irritable. He said love is not easily irritated. This agape love is long-suffering. And then he goes on and he says, love is kind. That word is the word gracious. It's gentle, not harsh. Agape love. Love envieth not, is not jealous. It's not covetous. Not covetous of another man's property, not covetous of another man's ability. Love doesn't covet. No, no. The Lord Jesus didn't covet. He was kind. He was long-suffering, and then it says, Fourthly, love vaunteth not itself. The word is there, it doesn't parade itself. It's the word to, to brag or boast or show off. No, I tell you, the Lord Jesus didn't do that. Not at all. It's not puffed up. That's the old Greek word for the blacksmith using the billow. And the billow, my, it puffs up, draws in with the air. And the Apostle Paul said this, Love doesn't puff itself up. Not at all. The Lord Jesus was gentle, meek and mild. It's unseemly. It's not unseemly. That word is the word rude. It's not crude. It's not crude. The Lord Jesus wasn't crude. Seeketh not her own. Is not selfish. Not easily provoked. The word is sharp. I had to repent of that. Not contentious. And I think whenever Paul was writing this, I think he thought about Barnabas. Whenever they fell out about young Mark, it says the contention was so great among them that they had to part their way. It seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. And that Greek word is doesn't rejoice whenever wrongs happen to other people. Doesn't harbor ill feelings. Rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things. You know what that word is? It's a word that was used for a bottle. Why, whenever they put liquid into a bottle, they put the lid on it and it was tight. It's the word that they had sealed lips. They didn't slander each other. They didn't gossip about one another. They were sealed. They had lips. They were watertight. They bore all things. The word is there, the next Verse thir number 13, believeth all things. You know what that is? Sees the best in everyone. Doesn't glorify their failures. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. This love never fails. 
And I'm glad this morning that the Lord Jesus didn't fail. I'm glad on the cross of Calvary, my, when they beat him, why, when they stripped him, my, when the very venom that spittle was lying upon his blessed cheeks, he could turn his eyes to heaven and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was agape love. Is it any but wonder the centurion got saved? Is it any but wonder I can tell you the Lord Jesus, my, the very personification of love, and in this day, he wants to say, I, I want to love like that through you. Amy Carmichael was a woman that was mightily used by God. She wrote a little book, and if you get a chance, buy it. It's called, What Do I Know About Calvary Love? She wrote down some things, and I want to read them before we sing. And I want you to think about this. She says, If I do not have compassion upon my other believers... I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can enjoy a joke at the expense of others, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I belittle those whom I am called to serve, if I talk about their weak points that I may glorify my strong points, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I refuse to obey God's word in some area where his light has shone into my heart and I still refuse to obey, I know nothing of Calvary love. And the last one says this, if I delight in the praise of men and if their praises elate me and I want to be known because of my service or because of something that I have done, I know nothing of Calvary love. You know what I had to do? I just had to get down before the Lord and I had to say, Lord, I know nothing about it. Oh, thank God that the Holy Spirit comes. And he wants to come and he wants his love to flow through. And he wants to come and let that love that God has toward you and I be radiant in our ministry, be radiant in our community, be radiant in our family. Be radiant to one another like that little vicar over in England. My, it was just like being in the presence of Jesus. What a testimony. Now, there's no point preaching if you don't preach for a verdict. It's like being in a restaurant and ordering a meal and you whet your appetite and then as the food is sitting in front of you, the waiter comes and takes it away. I'm going to push you this morning for a response. And what I want you to do this morning, and I want you to close your eyes, and we're going to bow our heads. And if you're honest enough this morning, and if this is the love that you want, if this is the type of love that you want for your family, for one another in this assembly, what I'm going to ask you to do, well, everybody else's head is bowed, this is not about show. This is just before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. If that is the language and the vocabulary of your heart, say, Lord, I, I didn't have that. But Lord, I thank you that provision was made on the cross that you can do that through me. And I want you, Lord, to come. And I want to be known as a disciple with agape love. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand this morning. I'm not pushing you for, to do it if you don't want to. And then we're going to just pray together before we part together.